0: Good morning. Good morning. Let me ask you a question. You glad to be at church today? Awesome. We're going to have a good time then. Hey, well, I'm so glad you're here. hope you had a great week and weekend. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris and I have the privilege of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in Acts chapter 2 today. Acts chapter 2 is Where we will be. It's our assignment. While you turn there, let me say a few things. I uh, again want to welcome our VIPs, those of you that are with us for the first time in the room and online. McAllen family, make some noise for our VIPs today. So glad that you're here, and I hope that you are blessed by being with the BT family today. If you haven't already done so, I'd encourage you to text us. 97,000 is that phone number, and you can type BT VIP, one word and no space. And uh, we'd love to answer any questions you might have about the BT family. Uh, also, do want to recognize and welcome the BT Online family. So, McAllen family, make like some noise for BT Online. Glad that you are tuned in from wherever it is that you're watching from. Uh, at BT, we believe in a culture of celebration. We want to celebrate what God is doing. We want to uh, celebrate things that, uh, like this. As we are nearing the end of um, the calendar year, hard to believe, right? Um, it was February, I sneezed, and it was December. And so... <laughs> Um, but in a few weeks this year will come to a close And this will be uh, the year that we will send the most amount of dollars to missions In the history of our church And so we celebrate um, God's faithfulness through that uh, But of all the things that we celebrate We celebrate life change first and foremost And so we celebrate things like this That so far this year 368 people have said yes to Jesus Going from death to life Not, not simply religious activity But finding relational identity in uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus. And we celebrate 198 people going public with that decision through believers' baptism. Uh, that 198 people have entered the baptistries of our campuses, said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I uh, say this pretty much every week. I intentionally say that they have decided to be obedient in believers' baptism because biblically, as we read it, it's the only baptism there is, the baptism for the believer. Um, and we believe that, that, that baptism does not provide salvation. Uh, there's nothing, listen, let me just, again, I say it all the time, there's nothing special about the baptistry. It's a large bathtub at a church. Um, the water is not holy, right? It came out of the tap, okay? That water needs as much of the Holy Spirit as you and I do, okay? And, and, and so uh, it, it's, it's not about the, the trappings. It's about the fact that, 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 that men and women and children place their faith in Jesus and then in obedience to him. Because the text says that we should be baptized in obedience, not for salvation, but because of it. Uh, We celebrate all the men and women and children that have been baptized this year. I celebrate this. We've got two planned for this service. So before we leave today, we'll celebrate two more baptisms. That'll put us at 200 for the year. Uh, Next week, yeah, absolutely, celebrate that. Next week, we do have a baptism party, you may have heard. no, ain't no party like a baptism party, right? And so we're going to have a good time, and you're like, what does that mean? It means we're going to worship, and we're going to have some baptisms. Uh, we have, I believe, right around 12 signed up for next week, uh, and so we're excited. I, I've said this before, I've got to kind of hurry, but let me just say this. I've been praying that the Lord would allow us to uh, celebrate over 250 baptisms this year, and I just want to clarify, when I, when I say that the Lord would allow us, you're like, oh, you're putting that on God. Well, ultimately, people have to respond to God's prompting, okay? I'm just asking the Lord that, that he, he would touch people's heart in such a way that they would respond, okay? Uh, and, and so we, uh, after today, we'll be at 200, maybe a little more if some other campuses have baptisms. Uh, we've got, again, I think 12 signed up. That's, uh, you know, 212. That's not 250, right? And let me just say this. Uh, if we don't baptize another person, you know what we'll do at, uh, at the end of the year? We'll, we'll celebrate 198 baptisms. If we baptize 212, we'll celebrate 212. If we baptize 249, we're going to celebrate that. Um, But it's not the end of the year, and I think some people would say, Chris, you should stop saying that because you're not going to meet the goal. I don't. We're going to celebrate something, and and that's what I'd like to celebrate, and at the end of the day, I'm going to celebrate what God gives us. Amen? Amen. But I just want to say this. I believe between the number of people that will trust Jesus between now and then, right? Last week, this past Wednesday night, at our student ministry gathering at our Alice campus, nine teenagers said yes to Jesus. Okay, So it's happening, right? It's happening. And so between the number of people that will will say yes to Jesus, and let me just say some very direct words, what I believe to be true, the number of people in our church across our campuses that have said yes to Jesus and have not been baptized. Uh, It's not the right time. I don't understand why it's necessary. I was baptized as a kid. Why do I need it again? At the end of the day, the number of people that have not, let me just say, been obedient, after salvation in the step of baptism there's there are more than enough people uh, I believe to see that that number met but at the end of the day we're going to celebrate uh, everyone that God gives us All that to say if you would like to be a part of the baptism party It's not too late You can sign up at our info center or you can text us 97,000 again is that number BT baptism would be what you text to us We'll get you signed up uh, Also you can get baptized today we, we didn't start the day with planned baptisms <laughs> Two people showed up and said hey I'm getting baptized today And so we are excited Amen. Uh, or at least I didn't know about them They may have been signed up already But uh, we are excited uh, for what God is doing We're in a series entitled A Thrill of Hope, and uh, there's something about this time of year uh, that puts a spotlight on hope, right? Um, uh, In an obvious way, there are some people that every time uh, Christmas rolls around, Christmas season, lights go up and decorations and, you know, the Holiday Channel and SiriusXM or whatever, I mean, uh, all, all those things start to kind of become a reality and people just get hopeful but 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 the season it, it still shines a spotlight on hope for people that aren't hopeful for some people this season is a painful reminder of loss it's a painful reminder of difficult days. This will be a first Christmas for some families without a loved one around the table. This will be a first Christmas for some people in our church that are now single because they went through a painful divorce. This will be a first Christmas for some folks who their, their child won't be at the table because they're living a prodigal life and they don't want to come home. It may be the first Christmas unemployed, right? And, and so uh, whether it's good or bad, this, this time of year... Um, It shines a spotlight on hope and and the the longing for hope. And and so what what we've done in this series is kind of starting with the big picture back in Genesis, we've just been talking about how how hope is available. We we opened up in week one talking about a new hope. That when God created everything and it was good and humanity lived with God in perfection and then humanity chose sin and the world was fractured. But in Genesis chapter 3, God said, I'm going to fix it. He said that the descendant, the offspring of Eve, the seed of the woman, that that, that he would crush the head of the serpent. That's that's a new hope that we're going to have in Jesus. Last week we talked about the fact that that, that there's a sacrifice of hope. That that, that this hope we have is provided by sacrifice and it's it's experienced through sacrifice. And today I want to talk about what does it mean to have a prophetic hope. What does it mean to have a, a prophetic hope? And that word prophetic, prophet, prophecy, it's kind of churchy. And if we're not careful, it kind of can get misunderstood or or we don't use it. But I think think we should use it. There are certain church words that we don't need to use because nobody understands them. And there's better words. But there are certain words that we should hold on to. And and the reality is today, let me just do a a really brief lecture on the word prophet, prophetic, prophecy, right? Today, there's some challenges. If you're new to church, just kind of bear with me. There are some challenges um, because... Uh, Let let me just say this. A prophetic message, first and foremost, is a message from God for his people. That's what it is. It is delivered through a human messenger. The the hero of the message is God. Okay? So there's a problem today because prophetic messages are confusing because there are supposed prophets who are sharing messages, but they're the hero of the message, not Jesus. They're the, right? Let me just say, today, anybody who claims to be a, prof- a prophet or have a prophetic message, a- and every time they speak it's about themselves, guess what they're not? Prophetic. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. It's about God, right? Uh, sometimes, let me say this, prophecy, prophetic messages, uh, we simply think of things that are, re- it's, like, it's like a, 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 a spiritual future telling. There are elements of prophetic messages many times that are tied to events that will happen. But it, 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 it dumbs it down to, to say that it's simply future telling. Not everything that is prophetic is actually telling something that will come. It's reminding us of things that have already happened. Sometimes prophetic, pr- prophetic messages aren't looking down the line, they're looking back down the line. And, and then, of course, we have the reality today that the, the prophecy gets misunderstood because today there are supposed prophets who make bold claims about events that never come to pass. Um, those prophets should be glad we don't apply biblical standards because in Bible times they were executed. So I, I, say, I say that the prophetic, the word, it, it kind of just, it can get out there in limbo. And so If I could just kind of narrow it, just think of it. It's a message from God for his people through a person. It's a message from God for his people, through a person. And today in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at a prophetic message from Peter, right? Remember Peter? Some of y'all maybe knew. There's a guy named Peter. He was chosen by Jesus to be one of his followers. Um, he, he was a man of great faith. Uh, and I, I say this, sometimes I can relate to Peter. I don't mean that arrogantly because I'm a man of great faith. I can relate to Peter because I put my foot in my mouth a lot. And Peter, tended, he tended to do that. Um, but, but, but let me just remind you of this, that two people two people in the history of humanity at least according to written record have, have walked on water Jesus and Peter right and I, I say this all I get I get fired up when pastors oh you know Peter was walked on water but he didn't have enough faith so he's sank. no 11 losers in the boat didn't have enough faith right they were out on a boat 12 of them Jesus is walking on water saying hey it's me come out Peter that dude <laughs> he walks on water he's like oh it's Jesus I'm going you know and then we want to talk about, oh, he just, and he did. He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to sink. Like, oh, Peter and his lack of faith. There, there were 11 jokers that never left the boat, right? Anyway, that's another sermon I don't have time for. So, so, so this is Peter, right? And, 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 and he's bold and brash. One day Jesus is talking about how his followers will desert him, and Peter's like, not me. you got it twisted, Jesus. I will never, I mean, I know you know a lot, but you don't know me. I will never turn my back on you. And then as Jesus is crucified, Peter is at a campfire, and people notice him, and they're like, hey, that dude was with Jesus. He's like, no, I wasn't with Jesus. And ultimately, it gets to the point that with with harsh language, with, with almost, think of cursing involved, he doesn't just say that he wasn't with Jesus, he says, I don't even know him. And this is my sanctified imagination, I believe that as Jesus is crucified, and Peter's hope in the... Person is dashed, and now I don't think Peter's got hope in himself because he just did what he said he wouldn't do. You know, story, Jesus rises from the dead. There's record of his time on earth after his resurrection, and one of those records, he is having breakfast with his friends. And this, again, this is a chapter and verse. Hear me, this is Chris's commentary. I think Peter's there on the shore, and I think he's thinking to himself, why am I here? You got like John. I mean, John stayed with Mary like he should be here. I I denied knowing Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed feed my sheep. What was Jesus saying? He said, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. In the Gospel of John, we call it the reinstatement or the restoration of Peter. And so so Peter would be restored, and then the book of Acts which is kind of the record of those first Christians taking the gospel out, Peter is kind of you know, heavily mentioned in the first few chapters there. Peter would preach this sermon that we call the Sermon at Pentecost. I'm sure some of the disciples are like, you, that guy's going to preach? The, den- the denier, you know? But as, but as Peter would preach the Sermon at Pentecost, we're going to look at a small part of that today. As Peter would preach, it wasn't the Peter who denied Jesus. It also wasn't the Peter who said, I'll never deny you. It's not that he went back to that guy. It's that he got shaped to who God was wanting him to be. And I'm going to mention this in in a few minutes and kind of expound on it. But what what changed in Peter's life is is that he, he was restored by Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And beloved, that changes things today. It changes things when we turn our eyes to Jesus and when we say yes to him and receive the gift of salvation. And in that moment, we are restored. We are put in right standing. And in that moment, we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we're a little over 50 days from that breakfast on the beach. We're a little over 50 days from Jesus telling Peter, I want you to go and feed my sheep. I want, I want, I want you to... To have faith. I, I, want, I want to use you. After that statement, by the way, Jesus would ascend to heaven in front of those guys. He, would, he didn't die a second time, right? He ascended. And after that, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter would preach this sermon. We won't look at all of it. If you want some homework, you could pick up Acts chapter 2 verse 14 and, and read on through the whole sermon. But today, really what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how how a prophetic hope, a, 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 a message of hope from God to his people, transforms our attitude in life. How, how hope transforms the attitude that we live with. And so I'm going to look at Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 29. This is what it says. Peter's preaching. It says, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and and his flesh did not decay. Here's the first thing I'd like you to write down today. This this Christmas season, whether you're filled with hope or you're longing for hope, if we want to have a hope that transforms our attitudes, we need to understand this, that that true prophetic hope, hope in Jesus, it, it is anchored in the past. It's anchored in the past. Here as Peter is preaching, he he shifts in verse 29, and he says, he calls upon the past. He says, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David, right? King David, he was the man. But what does he have to say about the man? The dude is dead and still dead. He's buried. I can take you to the cemetery, show you the tomb, right? We we know that that David, the patriarch, is dead and buried and, 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 and still dead today, but he says this. since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. In Psalm 132, David would write and, and, and he, would, he would basically state this, this that, that, that God made an oath that, that, that the line of David would reign forever. And in Psalm 16, that's where we read verse 31, that's a direct quote from Psalm 16 that he Was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. Listen to me, I I gotta kind of teach a little bit here. As as David would write a lot of the Psalms, there are times that it can be confusing to say, is David talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Well, David can't be talking about himself or even one of his earthly heirs, right? His son, grandson, great, keep going. He can't be talking about a normal person when he says that the, the body won't decay. And so it's clear that in some way God has revealed to David, partially, not in fullness, the messianic prophecy, that Jesus would come. And Jesus' body, guess what, did not decay. And so here Peter is anchoring this message in the past. You remember David, he's the man, he's a man after God's own heart, he's our patriarch, he's a prophet and a king, but he's still dead. But he knew, he knew that God would do this. Okay, how did God do that? Remember last week, Colin did a great job talking about the sacrifice of hope. And he, he, he ended it with that, that, that kind of great uh, crescendo where he took us to the genealogy of Jesus. All the hard names, right? And he said, it, we can easily bypass that. But this, this is why it matters. So why it matters. Because in, in all those names, we, we get to David. And then you keep reading from David on and you get to Jesus. You get, you get to Jesus. Now listen to me. You're like, I, I'm i not connecting. Beloved, today there's probably many of us that, that need, need our hope strengthened. We, we need our hope restored. We, we, we need our, our hope buoyed in our lives. And the problem is many people in the church today are looking to the tricks of the world to do it. We're, 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 we're looking for temporary answers to what many times are eternal problems without Jesus. And so when, when, when things kind of fall apart, when the things get rocky, we, we, we turn to the natural instead of the supernatural. And so listen to me. The fact that our hope is anchored in the past is not some pithy statement in a sermon. What you need to hear today, if you've said yes to Jesus and you continue to struggle to walk in hopefulness, it might be that you are hitching your wagon to the wrong hope. You, you, listen, God has given us gifts today today. That when Jesus is the focus, they are, they are great resources. Modern medicine, guess what? You, because you're a Christian doesn't mean you shouldn't go to a doctor. I'm just That's silly. Right? But, but your hope shouldn't be that doctor. You're, when your hope is Jesus, you can understand that God can use that doctor to do what he wants. When, when you find yourself in grief and, and sorrow and overwhelmed with despair, when your marriage is rocky, when all, you, you go to a therapist, right? And you can be blessed and built up, but your hope shouldn't be the therapist, the counselor. It's got to be Jesus. But somewhere along the way, we follow the pattern of the world where we, we switch our anchor to those things instead of Jesus. And, and listen to me. My concern is that in, in the world that we live in where it's, you know, it, 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 everything is instant gratification. And, you know, we have all the connection that we have, which is a blessing, but sometimes it's a challenge, right? And, and we just live in, a, we wanna, we live in a soundbite spiritual world, Right? Give me, give me the cliche, Chris, that I can take and, and, and I can kind of remember later in the week. Now, let me just kind of talk. for. I get it. Let me just confess some things, right? The deep, dark secrets of Chris here. Every week that I preach, I, I, I want to. I ask the Lord to give me wisdom. I want to craft statements that, that will stick with hooks, right? Because I realize you're going to leave here and go eat lunch and do other things. And by next Sunday, you're going to forget everything I've said probably, which is a shame because they're really good sermons, but, it, but, 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 but if the Lord can give me some wisdom to craft some statements in such a way that they can kind of sit in your brain, in your heart, whenever you, whenever you need to recall them, that's, that's great. But we have to be careful not to want to live a spiritual soundbite life. I think we want pithy statements and we want tweetable you know, comments, and, and we want to clap, and, which you should, like, please, I like it when you clap. We, we want to do all those things, but what we forget is that those things can't serve as the anchor, because when you look to the past, you don't need to look to the last great statement from the pastor, or the last great message you heard on the podcast, or the, 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 the how to, you know, have hope five point Instagram story, those are great tools, but they are not the anchor, they cannot hold. And my fear is that as we buy more and more into a soundbite spirituality, we forfeit the anchor that we have right here in the word of God. And so today, if you are struggling, let me attempt to help you reestablish that anchor. Because here's what the text tells us, that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's good news. That means you and me were created, right? And it was good, and it was without sin, and it was perfect. But as we looked at in verse 1, humanity chose sin, and brokenness came in. And then week one of this sermon series, God said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And so there's this big message, right? There's, there's this, this big message that's like the water in this pitcher. If we're not careful, we can, we can, we can miss the amazing thread of grace through scripture to our lives. So so the world is messed up, God says I'm going to fix it. Fast forward, there's a guy named Abram in Genesis chapter 12 that we meet. God says, "Hey, because because of faith, because of your faith, I'm going to choose you for my purposes." And while Abram and his wife Sarah didn't have any kids and they were old, God said, "I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to give you a son, specifically and what begins to happen is when, when God said to Adam and Eve, the, the descendant of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, it starts to unfold a little bit. It starts to unfold a little bit. And so Abram, by the way, who became Abraham, would have Isaac, and Isaac would have Jacob, and then Jacob's got a bunch of kids. And so what ends up happening is the statement God said to Abraham starts to come true. What did he tell Abraham? I will make you the father of a great nation. And through that nation, the whole world will be blessed. You're like, Chris, you're losing me. Just hold on. And so you've got this huge story, if you will. I've got to get my science experiment together here. You've got this huge story, right? And, and as you read from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12 and following, where, where God establishes his covenant with Abraham, this, this story, like the water going through the funnel, it starts to get kind of low. It gets narrowed down, right? The stream here narrows as it goes into this cup. And so we get the covenant of Abraham. But then what would happen? And I'm going to fast forward from, from Genesis to 1st and 2nd Chronicles, right? First and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, what begins to happen is God tells Abraham, right? He tells, tells Adam and Eve, I'm going to fix this because the Offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Fast forward, Abraham, I will make you the father of a nation through which the world will be blessed. Fast forward, a whole nation. God says, I'm going to pick a family. Imagine going to those big family reunions where you got like the the family reunion actually has like 50 families. Okay, the Bible calls those tribes. Okay, not like like tribes or clans. And so, so the text would say that through the tribe of Judah... I'm going to raise somebody up. I'm going to raise somebody up to through to the tribe of Jews. So you see how it's narrowing, right? Big picture. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this through, through a descendant of the woman. Well, that's a pretty... everyone is her descendant. Well, I'm going to use this guy... Because of his faith, and I'm going to make him father of a nation. And in that nation, I'm going to narrow it down to a family. And through the narrowing of that family, which, by the way, isn't perfect. Praise God he uses crooked sticks to make straight lines, right? Because when you read the genealogy of Jesus, you're going to read about Rahab. By the way, if you're new to church, I don't say this, but back in the day, they called her the harlot, okay? Probably not who you expect to find in the genealogy of God. And there's a lady named Rahab, named Ruth. She's got the wrong family background, right? And and so the the stream starts to narrow as we look back, which is prophetic, looking back, right? And it starts to narrow. And so now David, now God tells David, I will give you an heir and and your your throne will be inhabited forever. Forever. There will be a king on the throne of David forever. And so the, the story again... Starts to narrow. See if I don't make a mess. Because as you keep going forward, the line of David leads to Jesus. And if you read the book of 1 Peter, God, right? So you can say Jesus, he is God himself. Jesus would say, I have for myself a royal priesthood. I have a chosen race. I have a people for my own Possession. Guess what happens when you say yes to Jesus? You become a person, a part of the people for his own possession. You're part of the royal priesthood because you are now connected, right, all the way back to the line of David, the lion of Judah, all the way connected back to the fact that God said in the very beginning, I'm going to fix this. And that should provide hope. More More than anything, that should provide hope. That, that, that should encourage our hearts So when we look back, we're not looking back at, at, at some you know temporary answer. We're not connecting ourselves to things that will fail. But in the story of God's design, he's got you. He's got you, and we look back into the anchor of hope that we see in the past. You may think to yourself, well, oh, hold on, Chris, because you, you said that God promised David that, that a king would... Come from his line forever. And I don't know a whole lot. But I'm pretty sure Jesus was never the king of Israel. True story. Uh, Jesus' entire life, Israel was not a sovereign nation. Jesus never sat on an earthly throne. In fact, that's why many people missed him. But funny thing. I I don't believe the governor of Texas is trying to become the mayor of McAllen. That's not a shot on the mayor of McAllen. That's a huge job. But I just... Just like I don't think the President of the United States is trying to become the governor of Texas. And so when you're the king of kings, you don't need to inhabit a small national throne. You've got all of the thrones. Jesus is a king. He is the king of Israel because he's the king of the world. And that is an anchor where we can connect ourselves. When life seems to be going crazy, like Peter did in the sermon, we look back and we say, listen, I got hope. I got hope because he's... Got this. Verse 32, Peter goes on to say, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens. By the way, he's like, the crowd he's talking to, you don't want to talk bad about David. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord... Declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. And so how do, how, how do we have a hope that transforms our attitude today? We, we understand that our hope has to be anchored in the past, right? But we also understand that, that, that hope provides confidence in the present. Ho- hope, the hope of Jesus, prophetic hope, allows us to be confident in the present. Peter goes on to say, again, God has raised this Jesus... We're all witnesses of this. By the way, Peter is saying that he was talking about Jesus in the preceding verses. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what we will see and hear. It's not David who ascended, but it was Jesus. And so again, I mentioned earlier, here is Peter who some 50 plus days earlier was the guy who had said no to Jesus Probably sitting at the breakfast table, the breakfast campfire, thinking he's worthless. And don't miss the fact that he was at a campfire when he denied Jesus. Now he's at a campfire where Jesus would restore him. And so this Peter, who probably felt useless and cast, who probably felt that there was no hope for him, now with great confidence, he is saying what he is saying: this Jesus is exalted. This Jesus is alive. This Jesus reigns. What what was the shift? I already said it. What was the shift is that Peter got restored and he got filled. He got restored and he got filled. And today, beloved, we forget that in the church that when we say yes to Jesus, we get restored and we get filled. When you say yes to Jesus, in that moment restoration runs in your heart. The moment you, you call upon the name of Jesus, it happened at camp, at VBS, in a weekend worship service. It happened with your parents in the living room. It, it happened on your own reading the text. Whenever you call upon the name of Jesus, believing in your heart, confessing with the mouth with your mouth that, that he is Lord. When that moment happens, the, the church word is justification. The, the old preacher joke is justified, I'd never sinned. Justified, right? And in that moment, restoration reigns in your heart. But also in that moment, what we know biblically, is the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. And so you get restored through salvation and you get filled with the Holy Spirit so you can live a life, church word, of sanctification, looking like Jesus. And what breaks my heart is in you know, two plus decades of serving the church, I see more and more people in church living without confidence, And listen, the answer isn't to be confident in yourself. There's enough garbage out there that, you know, you're good enough and you can, no. No. But we are living many times in the church without confidence because we're placing our confidence in things that can't hold up. We place our confidence in a, a relationship. We place our confidence in status. We place our confidence in usefulness. We place our confidence in a church. But, beloved, what I'm here to tell you today is that there is a hope that can transform us and give us confidence in the day. But the source of that hope has to be Jesus. It can't be anything else. We can have confidence to be who Jesus has called us to be. We can have confidence to do the hard things like love our enemies, forgive those who wrong us. And there's a hopefulness in this reality. Beloved, I understand the number of people in this room watching online that many of us both recently and historically have gone through difficult days. And I'm not here to say that the difficult days you went through aren't real. That the pain you experienced isn't real. We, we do indeed live in a broken world. You know, the problem today is that there are two extremes the church tends to exist in. And, and, and one of those extremes is that you know when you when you say yes to jesus all the bad stuff goes away when you say yes to jesus you you don't have problems you 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 ride a unicorn to work and you ride a ride a slide a rainbow home you know it's it's just amazing and if you have a bad day it's because you're probably you're probably not loving jesus and by the way, since you do love Jesus, he loves you, you're going to always, you know, you're going to have wealth and hell and all these things. But there is another extreme that's like, hey, if you really love Jesus, then you, like, you're going to walk around with ashes on your head all the time. And, and you know, you're, you're not going to uh, ever, you know, eat anything that tastes good, you know, and, and it's just you're destined for a life, uh, uh, you know, of misery. And here's the funny thing. People can put pride in prosperity or poverty all the same prosperity and poverty aren't the problems it's Jesus not being the center of our confidence being the problem and so like Job in the Old Testament who was arguably the wealthiest man in his region could say the Lord gives and then he did 10 funerals because he buried 10 kids in one day and his wealth was decimated in a day the same guy could say the Lord gives, nothing wrong with that the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord That's confidence. That's confidence. Listen to me. It's not arrogance. It's confidence. What I think some of us need is we need a restored confidence. We have lost sight of the fact that Jesus is enough. We run to all the trappings of this world. We run to all of, I I use Orogel all the time as an illustration, right? What what does Orogel do when you got a toothache? It numbs the pain. It does not treat the problem. The things of this world, some of them are good things that God has given, but the things of this world without Jesus, they simply numb things. They don't fix things. And we've got to remember that there is a confidence that can be had in Jesus. We've got to pursue him. We've got to seek him. But that confidence, that hopeful confidence keeps us today. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, right? The pretty famous chapter about faith, book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us, now faith is the assurance of things what? Hoped for, right? Now, I'm going to put this together. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the certainty, some versions say proof, of things unseen. You know what the problem is for a lot of believers today? We're more interested in the seen than the unseen. We're we're more interested in the seen. I, I, I need to see some things. And we're, 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 we're hitching our confidence to what we can see. Well, when God does good things, I can see that he did some good things. I'm all about that. Now I'm going through a difficult time. Now work is getting difficult. Now people in the church have mistreated me, and I'm going to avoid them because that's what you do, right? And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that because what I, see, what I see dictates how I live. But the Bible says that when you're a person of true faith, you have a hope that can't be shaken. Listen, I'm not saying that all of us, when we get hit in the stomach, we got to catch our breath, right? It happens, but the ability or inability to navigate loss and heartache—and this is where it gets real in the church so when we treat people, when we treat people and each other right with with a lack of forgiveness and bitterness and disdain because we see people doing that back towards us—you are putting your hope in what you can see instead of what you can't, which is the power of God at work in you. And we need to—it's—I'm not saying this is easy. We've got to go back to saying that my faith, it's the assurance of that which I hope. What do I I hope for? I hope for healed relationships. I I, I, I hope for the reign of God to be evident on earth. I hope for these things. But there will be a confidence, a a proof, in that which is unseen, that God is working even when I don't see it. And so we, 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 we live with a transforming hope when we, anchor ourselves in the right when our hope is anchored in the past we, we live with a transforming hope and we live confidently in the present but then the last thing verse 36 kind of stands on its own here verse 36 Peter wraps up this part of the sermon with this he says therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty everybody say certainty Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, here's a little dig, whom you crucified. Let me me just say this. Acts is a historical book, okay? Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Um, This is just free teaching. I personally believe that a lot of Acts is what I would consider to be descriptive. It describes. I don't think that a lot of Acts is prescriptive. What I mean by that is that I don't think it prescribes the way things have to be done. The reason why I say that, the, the church and Acts met in homes, right? Well, we're, if that's prescriptive, we are violating scripture right now, okay? But while it is descriptive, it is historical in context. Peter is speaking to people who, who months before probably were with the crowd saying, crucify him. He is speaking in historical context. But let me just say this. You and I crucified Jesus just as much as the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leadership did. Because it was our sin that held him there. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. How do we we live with a transforming hope? we understand that that type of hope provides certainty about Jesus. That kind of deep-seated hope, it is anchored in the past, it is confident in the present, but it is always certain about Jesus. Number three, write that down, certain about Jesus. I know that sounds like pretty obvious, like, ooh, you're blowing me away with the depth on that one. But can we just be honest with each other? How often do we practically live like atheists? Like we practically live without certainty. Listen to me. Let me me just talk about me. You're better people than I am, all right? I gave my life to Jesus March 4th of 1998. This coming coming March will be 25 years of walking with Jesus. I can tell you this in full confidence, not arrogance, I have never doubted the certainty that Jesus would get me to heaven. I haven't. I've I've never thought, well, you know, this seems kind of far-fetched. How can me believing that Jesus, how how can that undo all my bad stuff? I've never doubted that. I have never doubted that because I have placed my faith in Jesus who paid my sin debt and rose in victory, I have never doubted that that fact is going to get me to heaven. But, beloved, I'll admit this. There have been many times in 25 years that I have doubted the certainty of Jesus to get me through a situation or to get me to tomorrow. Because the dark night of the soul rolled in like storm clouds. And things didn't go as I prayed they should. And people didn't treat me like I thought they would. I didn't, I didn't ride the unicorn to work, right? And there have been moments where in that moment, while I didn't doubt Jesus was going to get me to heaven, I just didn't think he was going to get me through that. We live in a world that offers lots of substitutes. But this is what I can unequivocally tell you. Every single time that I, in foolishness, forgot the certainty of Jesus, he never showed himself to not be faithful and certain to me. Every single time. There have been times that he had to take me through what we call the refiner's fire. That's a whole message in itself. I don't have time, if you've never heard that phrase... But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that fire isn't always pleasant. There have been times that I have gone through difficulties. And in that difficulty I have turned to the temporary realities of this world to provide hope. And Jesus in his grace and mercy didn't give up on me. But he did refine me. And it was painful. And there have been times also... Where I have forgotten about the certainty I have in Jesus. I've forgotten of the security, the the, the hope, right? The, the the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things unseen. I've forgotten that. And sometimes he has refined me through a months-long process, through years-long process, and sometimes in a moment he's just shifted things. And so even when I sometimes don't live with great certainty, he is always certain towards me. And Peter, who a few months before this is like, I don't even know the guy. And probably after that, thanks that he is done for with confidence, says, with certainty. The whole house of Israel can be certain of this. This Jesus that you crucified, he is both Lord and Messiah, Savior and Lord. Beloved today, you may be struggling, but if you've got Jesus, I, got, I promise you, you got hope. Amen. Amen. I pro- and, and, and here's the problem. I'm going I'm to be done. The problem is we've been, we've become so satiated, so so overwhelmed both both in content and sometimes our satisfaction with the patterns of this world. I'm talking to believers. You know know, know the problem, believers? Is unfortunately we've gotten, we we have followed our early father and mother. Adam, and you right? Adam, when Adam and Eve sinned, who told you you were naked? The woman. What did you do? The serpent. What does the church do today? The world, the politics, the people in office, the pastor, the the, the spouse. And we've gotten really good. We've just gotten really good about finding the problem out there instead of in here. But I'm telling you, if you've got Jesus, you have an unshakable hope. Yeah, you, you'll get news that will take the wind out of your sails. But he's going to put it right back. Amen. This week, Pastor Nick and I went on a hospital visit to see a family in our church. Who, when I think of the problems of this world, I can't think of a greater one than, the, than what they walked through. They lost a child. I've lost my parents. It was painful, but... This is probably a wrong way of thinking because we have no guarantees, but like, I think parents anticipate outliving their children, right? Children anticipate. And, and we sat in the hospital, and we stood there, and questions were asked. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer to that one, guys. Nick, go ahead, right? <laughs> and so listen to me, listen to me. There was questions. There was questions about why and how. But what I'm telling you, and Nick would agree, is while there were questions There there was a confidence. There was a hopefulness. There was a hopefulness. And what I would argue is possibly the most broken experience you face in this life. There There is real hope. There is real hope. And his name is really Jesus and we've got to get back to that. Now listen, we always want I want you to have some information and application. I'm just going to confess today I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to rob you a little bit of the application because I think it's kind of obvious. To the believers in the room, if you've said yes to Jesus, do you know why we sometimes forget? You know why we forget the certainty of Jesus? You know why we forfeit hope? Do you, you know why? Because we re, we, we rege- reject and resist the disciplines of the faith. You will always settle for someone else's Experience of Jesus if you're not willing to experience it yourself. You'll always settle for someone else quoting scripture on social media if you're not willing to get in the scripture yourself. Beloved, what if you ended this year? Doesn't matter up to before today. What if you ended this year deciding to get into the Word of God? To really dig into it? And what if you decided to commit some time every day to prayer? And what if you decided to, to really invest? In the local church to, to commit to corporate worship And to, to plug into our men's or women's group Or, or start or, or, or join a community group Commit to, to acts of generosity to, to commit to serving All those things that will, that will position you To hold on to hope You know, no, Peter was certain about Jesus in this moment Let's be certain about Jesus this season There are people that, that need the church of Jesus To be certain about who he is and so I encourage you, choose those disciplines that will that will push you towards walking in that certainty. And in a few moments, as we as we worship, they'll here in the room be ministers at the front, and the altar will be open, and you can come forward and you can pray. We're gonna have some baptisms. You can join them, right? You can you can actively pursue hope. But let me just close with a statement. What I believe is happening in churches today, and if we're not careful, it it happens in our hearts, and the reason why I think so many times we in the church aren't walking with the certainty of hope that we have been afforded is, is because we have forgotten how it works. Let, let, let me explain this. We, my wife and I are in a really fun season. Uh, we got a 10th grader, a 9th grader, a 6th grader, and a 4th grader. You're like, fun? That sounds exhausting. I said it was fun. <laughs> it is also exhausting. And so, you know, we, we one one kid, the youngest plays in a little, you know, city basketball league. Our 6th grader is playing Parks and Rec football, and uh, our daughter in 9th grade is playing high school basketball. Our son just finished uh, his football season, and, and so we're always going somewhere, always watching something, right? When when my kids were younger, I, I coached several. I coached a basketball team. I coached a baseball team. I coached a flag football team for five or six years. I resigned. I wasn't a great coach, right? I'm stick to pastoring. My record wasn't what I wanted it to be, but but now in this season where my wife and I are in the, the stands, sometimes it's hard not to still want to coach, and let me just... I've also noticed, so I played football in high school. That's, you know, my, my, my sport of choice. My wife played basketball. She's very humble. She excelled at high school basketball. That's her sport of choice, right? Um, and so the funny thing about a football game is, one, I'm not saying which sport is better. I'm stating a reality. More people are at high school football games than basketball games. And you are sitting further away from the field and the referees. So when I yell at the referees in a football game, it largely isn't heard, Right? But when you're in a basketball gym, which is like an echo chamber for sound waves, and you're sitting closer, they can hear you. So I tell myself as I, you know, decide my attire for the game, don't, don't wear the BT sweatshirt today. <laughs> I tell my wife, don't, nothing BT girl, it's not just me, don't be fooled. But, for example, my daughter's basketball games, it's, it's not simply that we can yell at a referee. We, we can yell at her. Now, before you get it twisted, we're not like, oh, do better. We're coaching, right? Drive the ball, right? Get the rebound. Be aggressive. Like, we're, we're coaching. And my, my wife may coach a little more than I do in those stands. <laughs> and it's funny because here's the deal. Christy and I, we're, we are available to coach. Like when that game when that game going on and my, my, our daughter's playing, we are, avail- we are coaching it up. And sometimes, probably out of embarrassment, my daughter's like, I don't know those people, you know? And she doesn't always make eye contact with us when we are offering our suggestions. But at the end of the day, here, here's the reality. Here's the reality. In those games, those basketball games that we watch, we, we are more than available to coach. But e- even if our daughter wanted to just run up to the baseline every time and, and see what we had to say, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because while we have availability, we don't have any authority. We don't have a jacket that says, you know, Sabercat basketball, and we don't have a clipboard and a marker, and we don't have a seat on the bench. We're just in the stands. And beloved, let me just say this before we're done today. Because some of you are living this up and down life. And I'm so glad you're here, but let's just be honest. You're going to leave here and live like the world again, probably. You're not going to live a surrendered life. And you're going to wonder why your hope isn't constant. Because the equation doesn't go like this. You see, everyone I've ever met that, that knows anything about Jesus, they're all about his availability, right? Jesus, man, I, I, I am in a mess. I got fired. I, I, my marriage is falling apart. This is My kids are wilding out. I, I, it is, I, I, I need you to be available to me right here and now. People want it. But, but when it doesn't seem to be that much of a mess, when things seem more or less okay, we, 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 we just want Jesus to stay available for us, but we don't want his authority over us that says, hey, if you, if you want my availability and my hope and my certainty and my security, it's yours. But there is an authority I've got to have in your life, and we get it twisted because he wants to choke out our life. No, 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 John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it to the full, and we, we choke out life. We hold the grudge. We gossip. We, we, we d- ignore what he says about the, the dangers of sexual sin. We, we, we seek out answers everywhere but him. And when the bottom drops out, we want him to be available. But, beloved, if he had authority, we wouldn't have to worry about his availability. Because we would walk lockstep with him all the way. And today... Today, what it might be for some of us is that you will hit this altar and confess to him that you have wanted his availability without his authority. Because when you take his authority, the certainty of Jesus in your life will never be in question. Will never be in question. Maybe some of you, you need to just walk right out here to that info center. Because we got a baptism party planned next Sunday. But delayed obedience is still disobedience. And maybe today you need to join the two that are getting baptized because you have received the gift of salvation and you should not be ashamed of it. But maybe someone in this room or watching online, what you need today, I've talked a whole lot to believers, so let me talk to you. What you might need today is the hope of Jesus to spring eternal in your life. And it it is not accomplished through greater religious activity. Hear me, religion's not a bad thing. Sometimes it gets, it's it's great. But, But religious activity can never accomplish what is necessary through relational identity. And you will never have the hope that God wants you to have unless you have the certainty of Jesus in your heart. And so today, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you don't know where you stand before a holy God, I'm gonna invite you, to make the greatest decision of your life You see if you kept reading in Acts chapter 2 These people who Peter just kind of brought, brought it to they were, they were pierced to the heart Verse 37 says They were pierced to the heart And they said what must we do to be saved He said repent What does that mean Say yes to Jesus And then when your salvation is secured He said be baptized So today if you want to say yes to Jesus Here's your opportunity Every head bowed and every eye closed Today, If you want to secure your salvation, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. Please understand it's not a magic formula. If you say it every week, please, please hear me. You shouldn't be hoping that it sticks one day. We say this prayer not because the prayer is some formulated system, but because it represents what Paul wrote in, John, in, in Romans 10.9. We believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is. We are confessing with our mouth that he is Lord and God raised him from the dead. So today, if that's you, you're ready to receive, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm far from you. I know that I need you and I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to come to earth to live without sin to die on the cross and pay for sin. And I believe he rose again in victory. And so today, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my life. And I'm surrendering to you as Lord. Thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen.